you're about to hear is the fusion of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Hello, America. I've got good news for you. It's Friday. I've been selling my soul, working all day, overtime hours for both. So I can sit out here and waste my life away Drag back home and drown my troubles away It's a damn shame What the world's gotten to For people like me People like you Wish I could just wake up And it not be true But it is Oh it is Living in the new world With an old soul This is a, a song by Oliver Anthony, a guy who is just an unknown. Uh, and all of a sudden, he takes the country by storm because he's saying this. Lord, we got folks in the street, ain't got nothing to eat. And the old beast, milk and welfare. God, if you're five foot three and you're 300 pounds, taxes ought not to pay for your bags of fudge rounds. Is keep on kicking them down. Mm. Lord, it's a damn shame. What so, the world's gotten to. Rich men of like north, uh, rich men north of Richmond. Richmond, Virginia, of course, just south of Washington, D.C. Uh, Oliver Anthony is the artist. I'm going to play the whole thing. I've, I've already tweeted it out. Uh, and uh, we'll do so again. So in case you missed it, you have to hear the whole thing. Stu, when he's talking here in the middle where he says, if you're 300 pounds and five foot four, is he talking about the shooting this week? Is this this new? Oh, I have no idea. I don't. I don't can you go I back? Can you imagine. go back and uh, I mean, just can't imagine it's that uh, current. Uh, but he's I also criticizing the person he's criticizing there is five. Five foot three, three hundred pounds. We shouldn't be paying for your fudge rounds. I don't think that makes any sense. Oh, uh, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> I couldn't understand about, the lyrics around it. So yeah. it must be uh, what's his name, uh, the fat fatty that uh, is now you know not quite as fat in Congress. What's his name? He uh, looked like an egg. <laughs> I mean, you're a fat egg. You're you're, you're describing a lot of people here. He so. had his pants hiked up to his. His oh, nipples. Oh yeah. Um, oh gosh, the Democratic, one of the top uh, Democrats. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I can't think. Of I don't know. Belt right. around nipples, man. Anyway, yes. let me tell you about our sponsor this half hour. It's Good Ranchers. Uh, Good Ranchers. I mean, I I hate to say that belt around nipples guy should not be around because you know if there's chicken, they might think he's an egg. Anyway, uh, if you are looking for good chicken, the best, uh, the best pork, uh, the best fish, the best meat. And you are suffering the effects of Bidenomics. Let me introduce you to Good Ranchers. 100% prime beef, chicken, seafood, pork, all from Good Ranchers. And here's the best part. 
you will lock in your price for the next two years. So whatever meat you're paying for right now with Good Ranchers, you'll pay that same price two years from now. And believe me, this is going to be a game-changing thing for so many people. Please order now from Good Ranchers. Head on over to GoodRanchers.com. Use the promo code BECK for $30 off any box. You can feel good about the 100% American locally sourced meat you're putting on your plate, supporting the ranchers, supporting the farmers, and your family by locking in the price for the next two years. GoodRanchers.com. GoodRanchers.com. Use the promo code BECK. Save now and lock in that price. GoodRanchers.com. All right, we have Steve Friend with us now. He's an FBI whistleblower. Uh, he objected uh, to being part of the January 6th raids. He is the author of True Blue, and I wanted to get him on because he is uh, he's a guy who was in a SWAT team, and I want to know what happened uh, in Provo, Utah the other day. We had a guy who was really not able to get around he was 75 years old he was a guy just blowing off steam now i don't agree with what he did and what he said i think the fbi should have investigated him but not break his door down at six o'clock in the morning uh and come in with a tank through his front bay window maybe it's just me Let's go to Steve Friend, who was part of SWAT teams for a long time until he couldn't take the FBI anymore. Steve, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me today, Glenn. So the FBI SWAT team, tell, tell me how this would work. You get a credible threat in um, and you check it out. Somebody goes and tries to visit his house. He's like, you know, you don't have a warrant and I'm not talking to you. Bring a warrant back. Then he makes more threats uh on uh the social media but you've seen him you know him do they do any investigation about who this person is or are they just going to the house well i I think that's a huge problem with this particular case because those original threats were made about five months ago and and the agents went to his house and assessed it and either deemed that he was not an imminent threat um, or they were having a hard time pushing uh charges forward but because he made these recent threats against the president, they used those earlier threats as additional leverage in the write-up of the affidavit for his arrest to make him seem like a greater threat and enhance the ability and enhance the tools and likelihood that SWAT would be a, a likely means to bring him into custody. And, and there's also the fact that the special agent in charge of the Salt Lake City office is brand new. And then that's somebody who basically has their rank on their sleeve with their Velcro. And they're, they're not going to be uh, pushing back against the predominant line of thinking that if there's a, a threat of violence against a sitting president, that we need to use the special weapons and tactics team to bring them into custody. So is this was was this attack on this man's home? Was this to send a message? Was it just uh, incompetence, laziness? What what happened? I think that it is uh, a result of the fact that, that the FBI is now viewing 
their agents as case managers, as opposed to the agents who investigate the cases. And there's this mentality that permeates. And actually, in the software where you have your case files housed, you're called a case manager. And when you're the case manager, you're sort of moving chess pieces around the board. So if you need financial analysis done, you send the records over to the forensic accountant. And if you need evidence to be analyzed, you send it over to the lab. And then eventually, when it comes time to arrest the subject, you send the SWAT team because those are the arrest mm. guys that do that. And and when SWAT gets involved, they have a matrix. It's overly broad. You it just the threat of violence or the suspicion that there might be a firearm is enough to send SWAT, and that's regardless of whether or not the person is prohibited from owning a firearm. And then SWAT is going to use its protocols. It's going to come in at 6 o'clock in the morning. That's the earliest, typically, that you're allowed to do that because it's speed, surprise, and violence of action. You're hoping to overwhelm the person so that there's not going to be a threat. But in this case, they had had a, a, a history with this gentleman, and they, they obviously knew that he wasn't an imminent threat or maybe not even physically capable of bringing these bringing these threats to fruition and he had he was necessarily very ambulatory so i think there was far better options if they had actually taken a step back and and hadn't rushed sure but i think when there's a, this threat here there's always this pressure so we have to use the the, the tool at our disposal because it breathes well up the chain of command you don't want to be the leader that said well i sent two agents to his house uh, instead of a swat team when he threatened to kill the president so what is the purpose of a flash bomb? Flash the grenade. Bang is a diversionary device. It doesn't uh, shoot out any sort of projectiles. You, you, Correct. If you hold it in your hand, you might have a, a chance of being burned. But it essentially gives the operators about one and a half seconds where it would temporarily make the person blinded, uh, would impair their hearing for some time afterwards, and it allows you to Correct. get multiple people into a room before they're able to respond and then maybe uh, fire on you. Correct. So you're not using it when you're in the room with the person uh, and you're already positioned shouting at each other, right? Would play no. No, I mean, obviously, if you're giving verbal commands and you've thrown a flashbang, they might not actually be able to hear you. Right. Okay. So there was a flashbang right before he was shot, but the flashbang was not in the house, and there's video. The flashbang is actually thrown uh, at, like, the garage door outside. Why would that have happened? Again, it's a diversionary technique, so you interrupt what's called the OODA loop of the person. So if they think that there's a tension in one area, they might be distracted, and then you come in through another door. It makes it safer for you to come into that other door. No, 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 wait, 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 wait. No, they were gun trained. They were already in the room. They were shouting at each other, and then somebody throws it outside. Do you normally? I mean, throwing it in one part of the house, okay, but why would you throw it outside? To me, if somebody is holding a gun and I hear what I think is a shot, I might just freak out and shoot. Yes, and I, I think there, there, it could have been an accident. I mean, sometimes if you if you pull the pin on a flashbang anticipating to throw it but haven't thrown it, you actually have to you say bang out. You have to throw it in a safe area. And there's a possibility that that happened, that they were anticipating needing a flashbang. And then for whatever reason, he was uh, open the door and was then having a conversation, engaging them verbally. And they needed to uh, get the, get that flashbang so that it wasn't going to go off in the, in the operator's hand or anything like that. So that's a, certainly a possibility. 
They could have been having a uh, verbal engagement with him through a door and then eventually decided that they were going to breach in order to do that, distract him, throw the flashbang in another area, then breach and enter. And hopefully that would give them enough time to to get to him uh, before he could respond. Does the FBI, do they wear cameras on their vests? They do not. Uh, There's a plan in place to implement body cameras. And uh, from my understanding, there's been training done on that. Uh, but I, it's not been implemented, and I'm concerned that if the decision is made to actually wear them, that the FBI will say, we don't want to reveal our tactics, so we're not going to have them rolling when we do our SWAT takedowns, but we'll use them for after effect to see, make sure that we're not mistreating anybody uh, after all the, the smoke has cleared. So I don't know what to extent they're planning on making those, those recordings available especially when it comes to SWAT, because that's rarely, that's rarely necessary in the prosecution of an individual. You've already uh, built the case against them, but that point it's not really evidentiary. Yeah, I'm not looking to build a case against, uh, uh, you know, the perpetrator here, uh, and I'm not looking to build a case against the FBI. I am interested in seeing the truth. It's the same reason that, you know, people who didn't trust the police and, you know, at times they have good reason not to trust the police. Uh, they demanded that we have cameras on so we could make sure the police were doing their job and not overstepping. If the FBI is going to get involved uh, in in all of these local things and their their response is to always send in a SWAT team. I think it's important that they have cameras on them because I don't trust them. And I don't think the American people trust them. I I agree with you on that uh, 100%. And I I think there needs to be an evaluation of the SWAT matrix. It needs to be narrowed for special circumstances that are especially risky and dangerous. And there just needs to be more critical thinking when it comes time to bringing somebody into custody using the least amount of force necessary should be what the premier law enforcement agency focuses on, which is why one of the reasons I objected to what we were doing on January 6th. We were sending a SWAT team to arrest an individual who had pledged to cooperate with us. And I thought that that presented an unnecessary risk to his safety and to our own. You know, there is um, there's something to be said for local police. The reason why local police can be much more effective is because they know the people of the community. Now, maybe none of them knew this person um, on the local police, but I don't think they were even asked. Um, you know, when you used to have Officer O'Malley and he was walking the, the beat, he knew everybody because he lived on that block. Um, the local police should be involved in things like this as much as possible to where they're saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Bob, don't you know his neighbor? Don't you know? Because that person can knock on the door, and it's not an FBI SWAT team. The, the federal government doesn't seem to care about anything other than their power. And, uh, and it's got to stop. It's got to stop. It, it does. And, and the prime director of the FBI should be to assist these local agencies that actually have yes. the real-world knowledge, the Main Street knowledge. And I would propose even now that they, the Republicans in the House use appropriations to defund the armed agent of the FBI and force them to partner with locals because those are the agencies that know the usual suspects and they know the community. And when you get their approval to do an investigation and get their participation, that creates a bulwark between an out-of-control FBI because the sheriff is accountable to his constituents and he can protect yep. them from the FBI coming. 
Yes. Hang on just a second, Steve, if you don't mind. We're talking to Steve Friend, former FBI and a whistleblower from the FBI. Uh, more in just a second. First, Jane lives out in California, and she's 71. She's experiencing pain in her knees. Now, if it was in, uh, you know, a little higher on the other side of her body, I would say it was Gavin Newsom in the government. But it's not. It's in her knees and right arm. Uh, most of the things that she tried doing, uh, tried to do during that time to combat the pain, she said, didn't do much for her. She started to think she was just going to have to deal with the pain for the rest of her life. That's when she heard me, hi, Jane, uh, talking about Relief Factor on this program. She decided she would give it a try. After all, it didn't work. It was 20 bucks for the trial pack, and it was worth a try. Good news is pain went away within a couple of weeks. Jane has her life back. Now, Jane, see how much pain is relieved when you move from California. The three-week quick start is only $19.95. It's trial pack. It's not a drug, but it was developed by doctors. Hundreds of thousands of people have ordered Relief Factor, and 70% of them go on to order more. So call Relief Factor at 1-800-4-RELIEF. That's 1-800-4-RELIEF or relieffactor.com. Feel the difference. 10 seconds, station ID. So, Steve, it used to be that even bank robbers, uh, Bonnie and Clyde, weren't stopped by the FBI. They were, they were stopped by state troopers, and they would work with the states, et cetera, et cetera. And yes, it took a little more time, but the FBI came in and said, we're going to do bank robberies because of crossing state lines. However, they have, they have wormed their way into almost everything that was a a state crime and still is a state crime. They just have to try it federally or try it in the state. Why, why did we give them this much power? Isn't the local and the state police good enough to be able to handle most of these things? They are good enough. And in my, my experience, local police tend to be actually superior investigators. They have the experience. They have the guys in the detective office. They're not straight out of the academy and thrown into an investigative role. They're guys who were on the street and, and cut their teeth there and then eventually ascended into the detective's office. But in my experience, those guys are actually superior. I think the FBI brings a lot of resources to bear. It certainly gets over $11 billion in funding, so there's a lot of cash-trapped agencies out there that uh, could benefit from the tools that the FBI has, but certainly not the, the trade craft that the FBI brings to bear. And, and, and the FBI is a self-looking ice cream cone. It's like any other government bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, mission creep sets in. And the opportunity to expand and look for opportunities uh, is is just too much for them to resist. Look no further than this radical traditional Catholic memo that was exposed further. To me, the most disturbing word in that entire document is the word opportunity, because it means the FBI is looking for opportunities to recruit sources. And as it looks for opportunities to collect intelligence, it looks for opportunities to find vulnerable people who it can entrap in domestic terrorism plots so they can pad their stats. So there was some uh, interesting news that came out about that uh, yesterday, that it looks like uh, our director lied to Congress. He said it was only one local guy that was doing this. We now find out it was several FBI districts that were doing this. Any comment or thought on that? Well, uh, Christopher Ray lied multiple times when he testified. He lied about that. He lied about not moving agents 
uh, from child pornography to investigate January 6th because I was assigned to do that. And he lied about sending agents to school boards to surveil parents, which I was also sent to do. So this is clearly a man who doesn't expect to be held accountable. Uh, and it's going to be incumbent that the, that the Republicans say, make a referral over for perjury against him. They owe that to people like Garrett O'Boyle, who testified mm-hmm. next to me and the Democrats proposed for perjury charges because he mistook his legal fees as being paid for by a charity when, in fact, they were done pro bono. But the Democrats didn't hesitate to try to besmirch his reputation. The Republicans owe my friend Garrett O'Boyle the, uh, the, the referral for Christopher Ray for perjury in front of them. Steve, I appreciate everything that you're doing. I, I don't find it to be a coincidence that they have reimagined our police and weakened all of our police in the city while they are trying to grab more and more power on the federal level. But I am grateful for whistleblowers like you that are telling the truth and have the uh, guts to stand up and tell the truth and have their lives destroyed. So thank you, Steve. Thank you very much, Glenn. God bless. You bet. Steve Friend, FBI whistleblower. He objected to being part of a January 6th raid, a SWAT raid, exactly like what happened uh, in Provo. He said, this is this is way out of line. We don't need to do this. Uh, And he has been blowing the whistle on the FBI and has been testifying in front of Congress several times. Hopefully, he will be part of the team that convinces Congress to defund the FBI. Defund it. Clean it out. And then if we have to have one, which I'm not sure we do, very, very small. The Glenn Beck Program. Mike, concern on that is it never stays small. Concepts like the uh, the customer is always right used to shape the way we would do things. When did you hear the customer is always right? When's the last time you heard that? I don't think anybody even believes that in business anymore. Customer is not right. We know what's right for them. We'll tell them. Get out of the store. Wow. Okay. Customer is always right is a concept that uh, Patriot Mobile believes in. Every once in a while, you will find a company that looks to their customers' needs and tries to make their life easier and service them. They're America's only Christian conservative wireless provider. They have dependable nationwide coverage on all three major networks, so you get the best possible service in your area. And when you make the switch to Patriot Mobile, you know you're backing up freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of the press, all of these things, sanctity of life. They're in the fight with us. Switch today. PatriotMobile.com slash Beck or call 866, I'm sorry, 878-PATRIOT. That's 878-PATRIOT. PatriotMobile.com slash Beck. And head over to BlazeTV.com slash Glenn. Subscribe to Blaze TV. Use the promo code Glenn and save 10 bucks. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Welcome to Friday. There is a really interesting uh, story in the Washington Examiner uh, today. We've seen the headlines over and over again. Local school board bans tag. No more dodgeball. It's too dangerous. Well, here's something uh, that is happening um, in England. They are now noticing injuries on the playground. And the reason why there's an uptick in in uh, injuries is because kids don't know how to play anymore. Listen to this. Uh, there's an article from the Athletics Fitness website, Stack. 
The real problem actually goes much deeper than schools being overcautious. The truth is modern kids are lacking some fundamental skills needed to safely play tag. Uh, what was once considered a simple and honest game of good fun has become a nightmare on the playground. Children are starting to hit with such force that they often end up whacking their opponent across the back with a monstrous slap. Modern kids often lack the innate ability to judge how much pressure to apply during games that require human contact, largely due to uh, an underdeveloped sense of play. Specifically, children aren't forced to use their strength enough, so they don't have what athletes would call touch, the muscle memory that teaches you how much force to use. What is causing this lack? All sorts of things. Video games, aversion to manual labor, unavailability of a parent for wrestling. Daycare workers are much less likely to wrestle with a child than the mother and father is. Yeah, I bet. So schools should allow tag, but parents and schools should also make sure their children wrestle and play with large rocks more. This is bad news. Our kids are becoming absolute uh wally creatures where it is we're just not able to do anything anymore and our kids got to get physical again we have to be able to play tag you know i think i i i i just wish i wish walt disney would have lived another 10 years uh, because I think he might have changed the world even more than he already did. Um, and that's because Epcot was not a, it, it was not an amusement park. It wasn't a theme park. It was an experimental prototype city of tomorrow. And uh, for instance, all of the houses had parks in between them. So the houses would face the park and there wasn't a street in front of the house it was a park in front of the house because he felt neighbors were losing contact with themselves because they would go in the front door and then they would go into their backyard where everybody had a fence and they wouldn't sit out on the porch anymore their kids wouldn't play out in the front yard anymore it was always in the backyard with a fence so he thought in the this in the 1960s in late 1950s let's put houses with a park in between them so they could go and play I think that's an ingenious idea, and especially today, when no pedophile can live within a mile of a park. Imagine if all of our towns had the houses with a park in front. Huh. But I think that our kids need to just go out and play, and not organized play. Stu, did you ever have your mom or dad organize a play or bring you i mean i'm not a sports person so i'm sure that you brought you went to little league and things like that but my parents would always say go outside and play oh, go yeah. find some friends and play i mean 90 percent right? of that i mean yes i did little league you had occasional like basketball leagues or something you'd jump right. into but generally speaking 90 percent of the athletics you'd you'd participate in would be in someone's backyard that you, in a game that you arrange on the fly correct you know and make up the rules as you go along that's kind of right. how it works right 
And it doesn't um, work that way now. I mean, I, my, you know, and I, they don't 100% know how. as guilty as, uh, as anyone with this. Like my kid is, you know, both of my kids are in organized sports. They play them all the time. Yeah. You know, they'll have yep. their friends over and they'll, they'll make up games and they'll go swimming and they'll do all those things. But it's, it's, you know, the percentage of time they spend on just, you know, improv rather than something that is uh, separate from that. You know, it, it's, I mean, it's, it's totally upside down. And if they can't rule themselves, if they can't put a game themselves, and when people were arguing, they didn't go run for mom, my mom would have said, work it out. Work it out. If you can't work it out, if you're always looking to an adult, an authority, a figure, to tell you what to do, to tell you what the rules are, and to settle all the scores, you have no ability to actually rule yourself in a free society. None. You don't understand it. I think that's true. And I think it's, it's it, you know, it's, this is something that, you know, we've talked about before with the, the free range kids program, which is a, a really great idea talking about how kids should be able to kind of roam and they should go to parks by themselves. And, and it, I will say as a parent, even a parent who spends a good chunk of his time, you know, uh, researching crime statistics, knowing that it's safer now for kids than it ever has been to do such activities. It is safer than it ever has been. And yet, even as a parent who knows that information, it's really hard to think of you. Hey, I just let my kid wander the neighborhood. That, that seems insane to me, despite the fact that I live and, in a relatively safe community. And despite the fact that kids, I don't know about lately but just as early as five years ago your kids are safer than they were in the 1970s crime had gone way down kidnapping of children all of that stuff the odds of your children running into real trouble had gone dramatically down since the 1970s when i was a kid and yet we all just feel like they're everywhere. They're everywhere. You got to keep the kids locked in the house. Yeah. No, I mean, no, I, you I, don't. I, I'm a, you know, a lot of this is media based, right? I think people it is. now consume so many news stories. They see terrible things that happen in one mm-hmm. community a thousand miles away. And it, it's hard not to apply that to your own life and worry about it. But I mean, like the stat that blows me away. I mean, you know, we talk about stats all the time. You know, I'm a bit of a numbers geek, but like. The stat that I think is maybe the most shocking statistic that I've ever found in, in all the time I've been doing this show and all the other shows that we've worked on is that when I was in high school, when I was in high school, this is in the 1990s, when I was in high school, I was four times as likely to die in a school shooting than I am today. Four times as likely to die in a school shooting in the 90s than people are today was That's, that because there was just there were no mass shootings there were just shootings of one kid at a time yeah like you know and i i a lot of it's that like there were tons and tons of shootings that happened one and two people rather than a spectacular 14. horrible 13 14 and we know about those stories much more but I, I i hesitate to believe that if you go back and ask one of those parents whose one kid was shot in a school shooting whether they'd care if they were shot in a one person shooting or a 30 no. uh, person i don't think they'd care at all you know the, the bottom line is that you actually a lot of these things have improved now we've seen a bit of a turnaround since the summer of 2020 or so uh where we've seen these rates uh, rise up in in ways that are really you know scary and, and, and mm-hmm. increasing and giving us trends that look bad but still, the improvements from when I was a kid and when you were a kid 
are uh, incredible. I mean, they've been, it's been a real miracle. Um, and it's, the, the, despite the fact that we've tripled the amount of guns in this country. It's, uh, and, and uh, this is going to sound really harsh, and I don't mean it as harsh, but I, I want to make a point here. Um, it's almost like in the old days, we were like, oh, yeah, I mean, of course he was shot. He was, you know, bad kid or, you know, whatever. Uh, and you would, but now it's this psychopathic, yeah. you know, bloodlust that is so hard to understand. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to downplay the, the school shooting thing. I mean, part of the reason why it's so uh, terrible today is because it feels like it happens in these communities to innocent children, not kids yeah. that were like, you know, and I had, I remember in drug gangs. Yeah. Yeah. I remember bad things happening to kids, you know, in, in my area back in the day. And usually it was the kids who were wrapped up with the wrong crew. And it's like, you could Correct. be the best kid in the world, walk into school, ready to hand in your A plus book report and get shot. I understand why that's a, a news making thing. And I also understand it because it's such a difficult problem to solve. You know, you're talking about people who generally don't have records. They don't have these problems. A lot of times they get a hold of guns that they didn't even buy or they got somehow illegally. They come in and they just decide they're going to do these terrible things. Of course, I understand why they're big news stories, but I do think we cover them completely inappropriately. We give the people who are the murderers in these cases the attention that they are desiring, which is a horrible, horrible reason. And every study shows it it, it causes more of these things to happen. And yet especially we- when especially when people don't have a purpose in their life. Kids are looking for meaning. They're looking for a purpose in life. And the only thing society is handing them is victimhood. And celebrity, if they do something crazy, uh, and that gives them meaning. I counted for something. I'll be remembered. Uh, you know, as you grow older, at least I have. You know, I've 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 known some really great people, and I mean, even Billy Graham. If Billy Graham's son weren't still doing things. In just a few more years, no one would remember Billy Graham. You know what I mean? Only the old people who experienced him. You don't, the average person, no matter how big they are, they don't make a lasting impact for people to remember them in history. And in this particular time of life, our kids are being taught that's the only thing that matters is fame, that that's a very dangerous thing. Yeah, I think that's uh, and, true. Yeah, and, and again, you know, people will replace these foundational beliefs with something. We're not capable of having nothing. So people create Correct. when they have when they don't have the struggles when they don't have the the foundational beliefs. They will apply those things. Find it. They'll find it. Now you know what the Matrix, Glenn. A lot of people bring up uh, the you know the red pill, blue pill. Everyone's got a colored mm-hmm. pill, and of course that's a big part of the movie. But I think an underrated part of the movie that just happens briefly is they talk about how the first plan for the matrix was this idea that, you know, they created where everyone would have the perfect life. They tried it instead of giving everyone this horrible life that, you know, uh, Neo got later on. They, the first version of the matrix for the people, yes, they were harvesting their organs, but the matrix (laughs) itself was actually great. It, it prevented no problems. Everything was wonderful. And human beings rejected it because they couldn't possibly live in a, in a world where they couldn't create these problems for themselves. Well, and you see this, could, but like with like, uh, you know, back in the day, you were facing 
horrible racists that were murdering yeah, yeah. people. Yep. And now we're facing statues of those people. And we're, right. our big conflict is, oh, my gosh, will they let this statue of this bad person exist? The bad person doesn't exist anymore. Now it's a statue of the person we're supposed to be worried about. We I create it these is, problems no matter what. It is amazing. I, real quickly, and then I've got to take a break. It, it reminds me of the, uh, do you remember the old Twilight Zone series? And there was uh, one episode with this, like, mob guy. He was a card player. He was a card shark. He used to play around with the dames, you know? Mm. And an angel came to him, and uh, he died. And he's like, look, but don't worry. You get everything you want. What do you want? I want some dames, and I want to win at cards. And he won every time. He got any beautiful woman every time he had whatever he wanted at the end he was like i don't like it here i want to go to the other place and he's like what other place i want to go you know to hell where all the bad guys are i don't really belong here and he's like what makes you think you're in heaven this is hell and that's kind of the same story you have to have resist resistance is important opposition in all things it's part of life all right back in just a second legacy box somebody has to carry the torch torch of your family's history to the next generation and it is probably going to end up being you it has to be so many people um have taken videotapes and and uh and pictures and everything else and then put them in a box you are the one that will preserve american history you will preserve american history through the legacy of our of our photos and our videotapes to prove these things this is the way this is how great life was and can be please 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 consider yourself an important curator of an important collection of history your family's history. Once it's gone, it's gone. For a limited time, Legacy Box now is running a $9 videotape sale that is normally about 30 bucks a tape. It's $9. And at this special price, there has never been a better time to get all of those old tapes that are just dying in the heat. Get all of those old tapes and put them digital. You can have them on a thumb drive. You can have them in the cloud. However you want them delivered. They will do it for you. Legacy Box, the safest and easiest way to preserve your past. Don't let the summer's heat age your videotapes, film read, uh, reels, and fade your photos. LegacyBox.com slash Beck. LegacyBox.com slash Beck. Shop their $9 tape sale right now. LegacyBox.com slash Beck. This is the Glenn Beck Program. If you have not heard the new song, Rich Men North of Richmond, you need to hear it by Oliver Anthony. I tweeted it out earlier. Uh, yeah, it's a pretty amazing song, and we'll get to the, uh, the, the lyrics of it are really powerful. But uh, Jason Howerton, who you know, is a former Blaze guy here, uh, yeah, yeah. He, Good friend. he got in touch with uh, Oliver Anthony, who's the artist, got on the phone with him. He said, it, the story is amazing. Uh, he said he was struggling with mental health and coping with alcohol. In the depths of mm. despair, just about a month ago, Al Oliver got on his knees and broke down in tears. Though he wasn't a religious man, that night he promised God to get sober if he, if, if he helped him follow his dream. Oliver was about 30 days sober when someone reached out to him to come record a song for his YouTube channel. That song was Rich Men North of Richmond. As wow. Oliver told me the story, uh, you know, goosebumps, uh, obviously. Here's a guy who basically just 
gave up everything. He hit his bottom, as you've talked about so many times. And now, 30 days later, is everywhere. Incredible. Yeah, I tell you. God is not uninvolved. He cares about each of us. He just needs us to be humble and say, Lord, whatever you want. I'll just do whatever you want. When you do that, your whole life changes. It's really amazing. I hope we can get a hold of uh, Oliver Anthony and have him on the show because I relate to that story. The Glenn Beck Program.